Stephanie Coxon. And I'm Kathy Anderson Martin. And we are two women influencing real life. So let's twirl. It seems like health is a pipe dream for most Americans these days. It is so bad that many people do not even know what it is to feel good. They think that ache and pain is just a minor and a part of aging. Over 50% of our children have been diagnosed with a chronic illness, and those children may never experience health apart from what they deem as normal. So how do we change this ship around? I am Stephanie Coxon. And I'm Kathy Anderson Martin. And we are two women inspiring real life. So let's twirl. So today, Kathy, you're going to love this because you love whenever we talk about health and that sort of I thing. I do because I'm working on that personally. So yes. yes. So we have got Dr. Anil Bajnath, on the, who is the director of the Institute of Human Op- Optimization, I can't talk today, with us. And he is a, a family, uh, family physician. He serves as an adjunct faculty member with the Department of Clinical Research and Leadership at George Washington University School of Medicine. He has additional training, which is what I love and why I'm so interested in the field of healing sciences, which means he gets into herbal science, he gets into acupuncture, he gets into homeopathy and a whole host of different things. Phenomenal resume. And I just finished reading his book, The Longevity Equation. So I'm super excited to talk about this with you. So thank you for being on our show, Dr. B. Oh, thank you for having me. So you've done some, you know, when I first, well, let me tell people how we first met. Do you mind? Sure, go for it. So I I, do, I met Dr. B at a microscopy course. And I remember thinking it was, he was there with two of his friends. And I remember thinking, oh, great. They're going to be these medical doctors. They're going to have a completely different perspective. And I'm going to have to be quiet about, you know, some of the stuff that I think well, is actually help. First of all, that's never going to happen. You just said I have to be quiet, but please continue. <laughs> And, and then they start talking about what they're doing in medicine. And I was just floored. I'm like, wait a second, this guy's actually thinking outside of the box. And I was totally impressed and just fell in love with these guys. Quite actually quite a few of them, um, all of them, they are all phenomenal in their own regard. And with that, I kind of let the, I mean, we went back and forth a little bit. I invite you to come up to see my my place and what what we are doing we never reconnected and then i ran into you in las vegas and i'm like we need to talk um i picked up your book i read your book and i thought literally every american needs to read this book because i don't think they know what they're missing she bought the book for me so i appreciate that (laughs) i did so so tell i want to know from you like how did you get to this point because you're not the average doctor (laughs) <laughs> well, thank you. You know, and honestly, I, I it, you know, that microscopy course that we met at um, on my birthday last year um, was actually the 20 year reunion for me. So I actually took that course 20 years ago, which was one of my first introductions to, you know, the alternative healing sciences way before medical school, way before, you know, everything. So I, I basically graduated high school and then went out and got that uh, training in um, live blood microscopy. Um, so, and that Can really- I ask a question for those who don't know? What is that? So live blood microscopy is basically using a very specific form of microscopy, a microscope uh, feature, um, using dark field phase contrast to study undenatured peripheral blood. 
So we literally take a drop of blood, we put it under the microscope. It's not stained um, using traditional, you know, laboratory methods to kind of adulterate the slide. And we're able to get a better appreciation of the milieu or the uh, the extracellular environment of what's going on in the plasma. And that tells us a lot, you know, we're able to identify all sorts of, you know, different clinical associations that would not be typically detected using conventional methods. Um, so, you know, one drop of blood to me is uh, very informative and gives us some um, direction of maybe clinical focus, where to go next. I don't make any clinical decisions or treatment or diagnosis based on this uh, method. But what I do is I take this uh, information and just given the fact that I've been doing it for over 20 years now, um, I'm able to probe more specific functional medicine testing or, you know, even conventional labs. Um, so yeah, you know, and that, that technique that I took 20 years ago influenced my undergrad. I went into the um, molecular microbiology and medical laboratory science before starting medical school. I studied with um, the Swiss uh, Biological Medicine Clinic, the Paracelsus Clinic of Biological Medicine out of Switzerland and, uh, you know, learned a bunch of, you know, different uh, European philosophies around this technique. And I married that with the conventional, you know, ASCP, American Society of Clinical Pathology kind of associations we would see using regular microscopy for, for hematology methods. So, you know, that's kind of where I began my journey, actually. And it came full circle when we first met, you know, uh, you know, last year. Yeah, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's funny how, you know, one part of a moment or how a moment can suddenly influence an entire trajectory, which seems like that's kind of what happened with you because it was an influencer for you to seek more. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, reading your book, The Longevity Equation, I one of the things that really stuck out to me, there's some really basic things in there that have huge influences on people's health that the average doctor doesn't discuss their health and the length of their lives and quality of their life. Right, right. right. Lifespan. Ver- yes. Yeah, you talk about lifespan versus health span. Right. And one of the, and I'm just going to quote the book, but this really kind of sat with me because I talk about this all the time. I'm huge into food and how it impacts our lives and how we're just so uninformed about our food choices. But you said food is not just medicine, but informational communication, uh, excuse me, informational communicating with um, our DNA, influencing our gene expression, turning up and down the, the volume switch of our epigenetic expression. So much of what we are told is we have a genetic issue. Our genetics are what's causing us to be ill. However, that's really not expressively true because about 80% of our diseases are more environmental, which is why food becomes so important. So can you talk to us a little bit about that and perhaps what we've really gotten from our families are lifestyle choices versus a a disease state that we are definitely going to get. Yeah, I think that's a very uh, interesting philosophical conversation because, you know, when it comes down to it, 
you know, food is information communicating with your DNA influencing gene expression, having the ability to basically uh, turn up and down that volume control or various molecular master switches that could influence how things are expressed. Um, you know, these different phytonutrients, whatever they might be, you know, you hear about, you know, curcuminoids from turmeric and, you know, proanthrocyanidins from other antioxidants and resveratrol from wine, all these different compounds bind to what's called G-protein coupled receptors on the surface of a cell and activate something called signal transduction, which thereby influences how certain genes are going to be expressed. So literally, you know, the foods that we're consuming has a tremendous impact on the epigenetic expression of how the DNA is being read. And if, if somebody's not familiar with the concept of genetics, genomics, epigenetics, let me just take a step back. So Whenever we talk about um, DNA, you know, we know that our DNA is, um, you know, the genetic information that we inherit from our biological mother and our biological father. And, you know, this is your book of life. And this book of life, again, is has many different chapters that we call chromosomes. And these different chromosomes have various genes. And these genes are various sentences and paragraphs within our book of life. These different uh, genes have the ability to kind of give us the instruction manual of, you know, how things are going to be expressed on a, on a biological level, theoretically, right? You know, gives rise to what's known as our phenotype, right? The reason why I I'm brown, bald, and bearded right now is because of my genetic ancestral blueprint. Whereas you guys are 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 the opposite of me, you know. <laughs> um, and um, so, you know, we all have our unique ma genetic makeup, right? And there's a difference between genetics and genomics. Genetics refers to the classical Mendelian sense of uh, inheritance patterns and has to deal from a clinical standpoint, dealing with what's called these inborn errors of metabolism and your classic, you know, issues like PKU, which is phenylketonuria, or, you know, cystic fibrosis, these, these various genetic influences on how, you know, disease predisposition, whereas genomics refers to the entire book of life and looking at what's called variations um, or SNPs, single nuclei, nucleotide polymorphisms, you know, so you can have a, a, a you know, a very specific uh, nucleotide, which are three base pairs that could code for ATT, and we can have a, one base pair variation in that gene, um, or, or I'm sorry, that nucleotide that would be AAT. So that that A to T flip is that single nucleotide variation that could influence the programming of a protein, right? Because what do genes do? They code for proteins. And those proteins, you know, have to be folded and have to bind to receptors. And, you know, then we could get into some of the enzyme kinetics and Michaelis-Mentin and all these different factors that influence gene expression, protein function. But that's the main difference between genetics and genomics. Now, epigenetics has to deal with, a, you know, it literally translates into above the gene, right? And above the gene, meaning all the different environmental factors that influence that gene expression. We could get further into it on a molecular level in regards to, you know, they bind to these histone proteins with, you know, um, arginine, all this other stuff. I don't want to do that for, for our audience and bore them with that. But just suffice to say that there are different ways to influence and induce various levels of genetic expression. One of the, the classic examples that I like to give is, hey, when you eat a really bad diet and it's pro-inflammatory, we're going to upregulate the, you know, nuclear factor kappa beta signaling, which is a very upstream gene 
regulator that influences inflammation. So the more inflammatory our diet is, the more we're going to have upregulation of these pro-inflammatory mediators and, um, you know, the genes that express inflammation. That's not good long-term because chronic inflammation is chronic inflammaging, and that could lead to an accelerated aging process. Can we can we address, uh, and I think a good example of this, and it impacts so many people in the population, is the MTHFR gene mutation. And I, I think this fits in to what you're trying to, or, or what you're, you're talking about, in that if you, you know, with this particular gene mutation, you are responding negatively to a lot of your processed foods because of, say, the added vitamins in there, the added B, right? Um, and I think that's a good example for people because I think it's around, and maybe you know better, around 40% of the population has this. And therefore, you know, what do we have? It, it's a it's a gene mutation that he could speak a little bit more to. It's kind of an example of what he was talking Is about. It's on the inflammation track as well? Well, it it can cause inflammation, Kathy. Okay. I'm just I'm just asking for those of us that are at a different learning curve. Yeah, you know, with inflammation, we hear about that and what that really is and so forth. So, okay. Yeah, but, you know, these processed foods that we have, you know, will impact the way we feel, will impact, I mean, it can cause gotcha. nerve damage in certain people. So it's just an example okay. um, of what he's what he's referring to. But it what it tells me is, the you know, easily at least 40% of our population is dealing with health-related conditions because of their genes. Really, that's what it says. Because so they're... Go ahead. No, no. So yeah, what you're referring to is uh, the MTHFR gene or the mother effer gene, which is involved <laughs> in a biological process called methylation. And methylation is basically, you know, adding on these carbon molecules to um, this 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 internal processing of an amino acid called methionine. Long story short, you know, as you alluded to, 40% of the population has some iteration of a gene variants in one of the multiple MTHFR genes that are out there, thereby um, rendering the person less um, able to process uh, very specifically, you know, uh, folic acid, right? So MTHFR stands for methotetrahydrofolate, right? Reductase. And um, folic acid, as you know, is a very important um, B vitamin, vitamin B9, that's involved with multiple different biological processes. When women get pregnant and they go on a prenatal, they're told to consume a lot of folic acid for neural tube development of the, you know, developing fetus. And that's because uh, this folic acid actually plays a very important role on all sorts of bio uh, biochemical and biological levels, right? So essentially, there's certain individuals that cannot use and process that folic acid, and they require a methylated form of that folic acid. Now, there are different elemental forms of vitamins that are available out there, and our foods are fortified with different levels of these vitamins. You know, there's cyanocobalamin, um, which is the most abundant form of B12, and then there's, you know, adenocobalamin, there's methylcobalamin, and there are different forms of these, you know, forms of um, B12. There's folic acid, folinic acid, and um, which is another form of, uh, you know, um, folic acid that's um, commercially available. And um, it's how your, your body assimilates um, these micronutrients. Oftentimes, your body's starving for these micronutrients, and they will do whatever it takes to utilize some of the 
the the molecules in the system, even if that includes incorporating it into you know the the biochemistry. Um, despite some of these micronutrients having what's called toxic tagalongs, right? These toxic tagalongs could actually interfere with the appropriate utilization of these micronutrients and lead to, you know, long-term, you know, less fidelity in that biochemical pathway or less um, integrity that's maintained in that biochemical pathway. But big picture, methylations involved with monoamine neurotransmitter synthesis, such as serotonin, norepinephrine, and dopamine, involved in myelin sheath formation, as you alluded to, and could be associated with demyelinating conditions such as MS and other neuropathies and polyneuropathies. It could also be associated with hepatic detoxification and the way your body eliminates certain, um, you know, uh, toxins, you know, from the liver. Um, so, and it's also involved with the immune system response. So, Another very important biochemical process for B12 and folic acid is something called hematopoiesis, what we were studying, you know, the, the undenatured peripheral blood. And when I take a drop of blood and I look at it, I'm able to look at, you know, how these red blood cells are shaped in their formation. And sometimes we see cells that are a little bit larger than they should be, right? And that will correlate to your CBC or complete blood chemistry profile as having an elevated MCV or being carpuscular volume. And when we see an elevated MCV, right, on your lab sheet, which I deem is greater than 98, and I see a bunch of large red blood cells in peripheral circulation. And then I see, you know, a low serum B12 or folic acid and maybe a higher homocysteine. That's usually a clinical correlate that there is some level of MTHFR that we're observing in the peripheral blood and that what we're seeing through standard labs. So it's making these little molecular associations and providing with the, you know, the individual with the appropriate micronutrient um, repletion that will help support them. Now, this is where it kind of gets a little confusing. And I think that um, there's some very interesting studies out there where you need to be careful with going in there and start supplementing with like mega doses of these different B vitamins and methylated compounds, because you could overmethylate, you could overshoot it. Right. And you need to be very gentle and it's probably better. There's better. There are studies there basically saying that it's it's uh, better to just get this from food and nutrition. Right. So basically green leafy vegetables and different uh, phytonutrients, because you could upregulate something called dimethyltransferase type one, which could actually lead to a compensatory hypermethylation and thereby silence these different CPG islands that are involved with tumor suppressor activity. That's not good. So if you suppress the suppressor, what are you going to do? You're going to lead to something deleterious, right? So with that being said, you got to be, you know, all these functional medicine docs out there slamming people on methylated B vitamins. You got to be careful with that. You know, you should have some different surrogate markers to reflect whether or not that's being done appropriately. You know, I like to measure a homocysteine. I like to be very gentle with it. Um, and, um, you know, I, I like you, you just you just got to you can't manage what you don't measure. So there are little things that I look for because for some individuals, if you go in there and you start slamming them with uh, methylated B vitamins, you could actually precipitate schizophrenia um, and other neurological issues. So again, you just you just gotta you know be gentle with things and look at the individual where they're at and what their constitutional kind of makeup is, and not just MTHFR, but all the other genes that are involved in their book of life. 
Yeah, I'm going to translate that for Kathy. You can create unhealthy health, unhealthy conditions in your body by overdoing I it. I figured that. I I understood that you can over supplement, and that's not a bad. That's not a good thing, right? And that could lead to schizophrenia and other things. And and that goes back to why nutrition is so important, and it's, it's so individualized. Everybody's yes. different and processes things differently, and has a different. That's why those one size fits all things don't aren't don't work. Right. Did and I did I did I understand that correctly? Yes, that's perfect. And you said the magic uh, term one size does not fit all. We're entering a new era of medicine that's called precision medicine. And essentially, you know, the NIH defines precision precision medicine as the interface of biology, environment, and lifestyle. And I think that to me is just really good medicine that any and every doctor should be taken into account. But the reality is my genetic makeup is completely different and influences maybe, you know, the different drugs or medications that I should be taking and respond to. For example, this is known as pharmacogenomics. And this is one of the, the key, um, you know, leading precision medicine clinical applications is looking at how everybody's blueprint influences their rate of metabolism of different drugs or medications in their system, right? So, you know, I, I think that there are different ways that we could kind of further personalize medicine to your DNA and have a better appreciation of these, uh, you know, individual, um, you know, kind of pathophenotypes or, you know, genotypes that influence your body's ability to do certain things. Um, so with that being said, you know, the future is precision. And, you know, in my book, I mentioned, you know, um, my approach to personalized medicine that actually starts off with genotyping my patients and getting, you know, that, you know, kind of appreciation for where they're at. Because in the book, you know, I, I, you know, go back to some of my core values of why we develop disease. And I think that disease, you know, could be associated with genetic weakness, environmental toxins, and a buildup of acid in our system that deposits in our tissues. And again, this goes back to some of the European biological methods and theories out there in regards to, you know, the issues in the tissues could do, be due to um, this uh, bioaccumulation of, you know, uh, different byproducts. So I genotype my patients, I, you know, move into other advanced molecular tests um, on a multi-omic level and use this information to personalize their, their protocols. I, I love that. When we're going to take a break quickly, but when when we get back, I want to get further into that, understanding what genetic testing that you're using, because there's several different kinds that you can use, One that's, ones that are specific to medications, some that are specific to, you know, your individual um, pathways and, and whatnot, gene SNPs, I should say. And so I want to I want to cover all of that and just see what it is exactly that you're using that you feel is is working the best. So let's come I, back to that. One question I have when we get back, you know, most modern medicine, which I've shifted to more naturopathic, your practice, Stephanie, uh, because that whole thing, I have five minutes to be with you and then I'm on to my next patient and I'm never talking about anything except what hurts. Here's med out you go. You yeah. know, so that's the whole uh, issue that we have in problems. Look forward to getting back. All of our shows go to podcasts typically a day or two after the broadcast is heard on talk radio. You can hear them on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, and iHeart Podcast, and many more. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for us. And you can find out more about our show and get all the latest podcasts if you go to the menu navigation bar at America Out Loud 
under our shows or schedule, and you'll be in the know. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Spike proteins help viruses enter into your cells, disrupting your health and your well-being. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body of spike proteins, which allows your body to repair from within, supporting your immune and respiratory systems and regulating your inflammatory response. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Well, the year 2024 must be the year of the patriot and americaoutloud.news will equip you with all the information you need to give new meaning to the words Patriot Act. For our actions always ultimately define our words. Now is our time, my fellow Americans. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Talk about that. How important genetic testing is. What kind are you using in in your practice? Yeah, you know, there's several different companies that I, I work with clinically, um, depending on the presentation and the resources. Um, you know, as you know, this is not covered by insurance, and um, I like to try to use this information to understand our vulnerabilities and to empower my patients to make more informed decisions about their longitudinal kind of uh, longevity. Uh, you know, so with that being said, there's a couple of different factors that I look at in regards to, you know, um, you know uh, choosing the right genomic analysis for my patient, right? Um, so, the, for example, if I'm trying to unravel a complex web of, you know, medical mystery, I'm going to go with what's called genome-wide sequencing, right? That's going to provide us with, you know, some of these more obscure genes, less studied, um, you know, that are involved with maybe truncated proteins or different, you know, kind of um, obscure biochemical aberrations. Um, and then, you know, there's a, another mid-level kind of, you um, testing company that I like to go with, uh, just depending on, you know, again, the finances and the resources of the patient. But, um, 
And then there is um, another method of testing that I do, which is, you know, kind of included in my baseline, which is a little bit cheaper comparatively. You know, it's a couple hundred bucks. And, um, you know, that provides us with, with uh, information on a, you know, a SNP analysis, a single nucleotide polymorphisms that are going to be looking at um, what's called uh, polygenic risk scores. And polygenic risk scores is basically, you know, aggregating a bunch of different genes that are involved with a very specific outcome, whether it's heart disease or, you know, neurological degeneration or whatever it is. And these polygenic risk scores gives us a weighted value of all these different genes that may have an association in a very specific uh, pathology. And um, essentially, we take this information and uh, we look at those weighted values and make some key clinical decisions around that in regards to maybe selecting a very specific test to move on from there or exam or, or some sort of assessment, you know, to further quantify and establish that baseline. So whether it's heart disease, you know, I run very advanced tests on heart disease from advanced li uh, lipid profiles, um, looking at some of the more obscure markers to, you know, um, you know, uh, CT angiograms with AI, you know, to look at um, the amount of um, atherosclerotic burden in somebody's arteries. So looking and, and kind of leveraging this information is very important. Um, I take uh, I tend to brain map uh, my patients as well to get a QEEG to see what's going on from a neuro standpoint. Um, and, um, you know, all sorts of things. So, I, I mean, I don't want to bore you with all the details of, of what I do clinically. Here, but I, I have a very practical question with this. If these sure. can help and these tests can help so much to determine um, illness or propensity to an illness or something, why isn't it not covered by insurance? Wouldn't that be a preventative measure that would be helpful? I mean, that's that's my question with some of these things. Boy, that's yes. a I know, but it's a very practical question. You'd think, oh, well, this makes sense to, you know, why... Why wouldn't it be something we'd want to invest in? So not everybody wants to know their genetic destiny, theoretically. But I, I do believe that, you know, we do, you know, your gene, your genes do not determine your faith, right? Your decisions in life, your, your thoughts, words, actions, and behaviors do. And um, in regards to, you know, there's something called the, the GINA Act of 2008, the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination non Act. So, you know, insurance companies cannot, you know, get this information and, and, you know, discriminate against you because you might have an increased risk for X, Y, and Z or, or whatever it is. Um, additionally, honestly, it's a, it's a paradigm shift in medicine because most doctors, you know, so newer physicians that are graduating medical school are actually getting some of these teachings infused into their curriculum. Uh, for example, when I was at University of Maryland working with their medical students, um, they were actually all genotyped and learned about pharmacogenomics and they tried to use this information for their own health. Now, PGX or uh, pharmacogenomics is just one iteration of clinical application that could be used in the personalization of medicine. So um, I, I, I definitely think that this is a bit of a paradigm shift and, uh, you know, kind of a departure of that one size fits all, you know, model that we've been traditionally accustomed to in allopathic medicine. Um, and you know, it's just one of those things. I think it's going to take a little bit of time, a newer generation to kind of come up, embrace it, 
um, and and honestly learn it and use it in their clinical practice. So that's where me and a group of colleagues um, have formed the American Board of Precision Medicine. So if you go to any academic institution around the country, you're going to find that they have a department of precision medicine where they're doing amazing, innovative research and um, you know uh, research and and development on different you know amazing things. Let's just say. However, you know, they're still operating in silos. They're still not, you know, really, I think, seeing the big picture of how this information could be used for the masses. So me and my group of colleagues are actually um, are have developed a course uh, curriculum outline and um, recruiting physicians from around the world, MDs and PhDs and DOs and so forth to be a part of this initiative. And we've um, are going to be launching this fellowship um, with the goal of becoming a board certified subspecialization in medicine, um, as in in precision medicine. And what we plan on doing is just basically enhancing, you know, the curriculum after you leave residency and you've been indoctrinated in your your method of specialization, and you want to take it further. You know, we encourage that by pursuing this level of training and learning about omics and medicine and systems biology and network analysis and connecting these molecular dots to better understand what's influencing the patient in front of you to make more informed decisions around the personalization of their medicine. And again, it's not just a biopharmaceutical model, but also understanding, hey, you know, if you, somebody has, you know, micronutrient deficiencies or environmental toxicities and so on and so forth, all those variables influence, again, their pathophenotypical expression, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, we're, we're, me and my colleagues are, you know, attempting to, um, I, I don't want to use the term disrupt, but enhance the model that we have right now to hyper accelerate it, you know? So, we could gain more mainstream acceptance. And this isn't a, a departure of the biopharmaceutical model, but more so an enhancement of it because, you know, dare I say, Big Pharma is involved with these initiatives as well, you know, with the intention of, you know, developing these uh, amazing heroic interventions for people that need it because people need certain interventions. There are these very obscure conditions that need, you know, very specific interventions, and we need to accelerate that process, you know. And some of the greatest applications are in, you know, cancer research and hematology and things of that nature. So that, yeah. I, I have a question in your book and some practical questions. You have a lot of, in the longevity equation, you have a lot of different um chapters and information about basic things that affect our health and that we have control over, as you mentioned, that so much of it is within our ability, lifestyle choices, uh, nutrition, exercise, cognitive um, functions. But the one that got to me, I said, oh, no, I'm doomed, was um, sleep, because I have struggled with sleep my entire life, staying asleep, um, having quality sleep. But I know a lot of other people mentioned that. Don't and look at me. I, I don't. No, I do. And um so that one was one of the, I was like, oh no, I'm in trouble. But can you, and I know there are a lot of other things in here, but can you mention that of why sleep, something so basic is so important and maybe, um, you know, the challenges and that, that, that effect on our health with, with bad sleep? Oh yeah. I mean, well, there's, you know, there's so many different factors, but sleep is the only time that we 
shift our biochemistry into an anabolic state. It's when we're resting and recovering. And if we do not dial in our sleep for whatever reason, our ability to kind of heal is impaired. You know, at nighttime, when we go to sleep, we have, you know, what's called um, the glymphatic system at work, which is, you know, the lymphatic system within the blood brain barrier, right? Uh, within the cerebral spinal fluid that's washing away all the accumulated lipofusion granules and alpha synicolin and beta amyloid um, misfolded proteins that may accumulate in your neuron and be associated with neurodegeneration. Right. So sleep is when we turn on that master switch of, you know, again, just regeneration. So it's it's just one of those key, you know, th you know, factors, one of the that that influence tremendously somebody's overall biological aging process, because, again, we spend a third of our life sleeping. And, you know, we're shifting our consciousness. And if we're able to really dial in our sleep, you're going to be working out, you know, all sorts of, you know, <laughs> things in your sleep through your dream state and stuff. I believe that if you're able to tap your sleep, tap into your sleep really well, you're going to solve all of your problems ahead of time. You're going to be able to kind of manifest your, your destiny the next day. And, um, and, and really have, you know, control over a lot of different factors in your life. Um, for me, at least that's what I do. You know, I, um, I, I, I already know what I'm doing the next day before it's most like most people, right. I know what I'm doing next week, next month. I know where I have to be, what I need to do, what, you know, responsibilities I have and what needs to happen. And, um, you know, before, before bed, I try my best to, you know, read uh, meaningful, you know, things before bed versus, you know, have any blue light stimulation or anything stressful, you know, and um, which speaks about sleep hygiene, which is mentioned in the book. Um, but overall, you know, sleep is just one of those critical factors where you're shifting your consciousness. And, you know, again, we spend a third of our life in a in a sleep state. So it's very important to just overall get dialed in. I mean, if you were to, I think, listen to uh, Brian Johnson, who spent millions of dollars in trying to biohack his health, you know, um, from what I've heard and his his uh, feedback about working with over 30 plus doctors from around the world and, you know, trying to promote his longevity and reverse his biological age, uh, sleep was one of the, the number one factors for him. I would you like know. to clearly state for everyone to know I am a solid early bird according to your book which mm -hmm. leads me to my next statement I am sorry for texting you at 5 30 this morning I realized it after the fact that that probably was not a you know I like to get my day started at five o'clock at 8 30 I'm like you know what I really need to start going to bed you know because I want to be able to get up at that time I know I'm a solid seven hour sleeper. If I go to bed, I will wake up. It doesn't matter if I go to bed late, I will wake up at seven hours. If I go to bed early, I'll wake up at seven hours. And yeah. I love getting up early, starting my day. It's like I, the best thing I in my life. Barely, I rarely ever sleep more without waking up two to three hours and I'm awake and it's just ever. Uh, it's his challenge. There, there's a book that can help. I you understand. With some, some... I understand. That's why that one stuck, uh, stuck out to me because I said I'm doomed. Yeah, it is you're, so not doomed. you're not doomed. You got to change your language. You know, again, thoughts, words, actions, behaviors, right? And your body's listening in every one of those trillions of cells are listening into the self-talk. So making sure that we're, from a, a thought perspective that we're changing our thoughts, right, which is going to completely shift how your cells respond and unlock the healing potential.
So, you know, on a quantum level, you know, it's also important to look at, you know, so it's, I think there are little things that we could do to kind of chip away, you know, 1% every day, if not multiple percentage points towards optimizing every facet of our, you know, our health optimization. You know, and as you alluded to the chronobiome, you're early, early bird, you know, and I, I think I'm more of an early bird, so it's all good. I just don't have my phone on, um, you know, I notification silenced, I should say at, um, at, you know, so that I'm not getting disrupted at night. Oh, good. But yeah. Yeah. That makes no me worries. feel better. Good. You didn't oh, good. bother him. Good. You know, you list a lot of different things that you can do. You talked about several different therapies. I want to I want to get further into the red light therapy because it's it's literally one of my favorites. I don't know if it's because I can go sit in a tanning bed type situation and not damage myself, which I was never allowed to do as a child. So it kind of makes me feel like but not I could a tanning be, bed, but not a tanning right, bed, something different. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Just clarifying, it you know, for those of our listeners who may have but, heard that, but in the, you know, call it the biohacking world or the longevity world. That's, I feel like that's what we're seeing a lot of right now is that technology, a lot of research coming out in regards to it. Where do you put that in the big scheme of things? Well, you know, I think as you're, can you explain it first, the red light therapy, you know, before um, what it is and. Yeah. Do you, do you want to do it or do you want me to give you you a, you go for it. So in a very simple version, we know that the sun's rays have a lot of good to them, right. but we also know that the, the UV, B, UVA, UVC have some negative components. Sure. We can actually take the good part of it, put it in a bed, apply some frequencies, pulsing, um, and put it in very specific nanometers that are longer than those other, that UVC. Gotcha. UV- so it's like sunlight, like artificial, like the good parts of the sunlight. Yes. Okay with within certain wavelengths that okay. are, are extended wavelengths. Okay. So depending on the condition, you may want to go up to like a thousand nanometers that, you know, you might get 400 with a, a UV. Okay. C. Just wanted to clarify if someone heard that and was like, what is gotcha. that? Okay. okay. So I do. Okay. Dr. B. Yeah. Yeah. No. And you know, I don't have it all memorized, but essentially that there are different um, wavelengths of uh, infrared, near infrared, far infrared starting at 760 nanometers for the near infrared and then yeah making its way up to a higher nanometer reading a close to a million nanometers right um and um essentially there's different depths of penetration of these lights where you know the near infrared um gets through to the dermis and the mid infrared could get into the subcutaneous where the far infrared could get into the muscle and beyond and essentially, you know, these different lights refer to a therapeutic application known as photobiomodulation. And, you know, at the core of this, you know, these uh, different therapies of red light therapy or light therapy as a whole has the ability to influence um, what's these organelles called mitochondria. And mitochondria, as you, we all have learned in high school, are the powerhouse of the cell. That's and the exactly mitochondria- what I was remembering. That's what I, the one thing I remember from like biology. Go and ahead. 
Yeah, and it's where you know we are able to produce energy, ATP, this different energetic currency, and you know ATP is a reason why we're able to do what we do throughout the day because we have energy to do so. Now it's interesting because you know this this basically works on penetrating these uh, these pores within the mitochondria and upregulate something called cytochrome C oxidase. And the cytochrome C oxidase gets excited and is upregulated and is able to function more efficiently. Now, at the core of this, there's a lot, you know, and as in the in the book, you know, I highlight something called the 12 hallmarks of aging. And mitochondrial instability is one of those core hallmarks of aging. And on a deeper level, you know, you could get into the work of Dr. Robert Navinow and, um, you know, what's called, something called cell danger response and looking at all these different environmental factors that basically inhibit your mitochondria from functioning efficiently. And um, the mitochondria actually are very smart organelles that are theoretically, you know, you know, uh, kind of became came into our eukaryotic existence eons ago through what's called the endosymbiotic theory it was believed that mitochondria are actually what's called cyanobacteria that were engulfed by our cells and then figured out how to have this symbiotic relationship where it takes and consumes our fat and undergoes something called beta oxidation through a process called oxidative phosphorylation to generate ATP on our behalf. So the reason why we're able to process fat and produce energy at a higher currency level versus carbohydrate is because of this mitochondria that is theoretically evolved from cyanobacteria eons ago. Now, this bacteria or this, this uh, mitochondria is also very unique in that it has its own set of DNA instructions that are strictly maternally inherited. So our mothers are the resources for providing us with the genetic information of our mitochondrial DNA, which is super fascinating. Additionally, these mitochondria are little sensors and has antennas, you know, peeking into the environment, just like our DNA does and senses different environmental threats. And when it senses these different environmental threats, it responds. This is known as a cell danger response. And it responds by taking a defensive posturing and down-regulating its ability to produce ATP and energy to conserve energy theoretically because it knows, the cell knows it has to go into potential battle. So, you know, there's all these different things that influence our mitochondrial health, mitochondrial stability, mitochondrial uncoupling, and so on and so forth on a, on a molecular level. And at the heart of it, you know, red light, silly red light, you know, with very specific nanometers, it's been shown to really help support the mitochondrial uh, function overall. So it's like a panacea of, of help, little helpers that yeah. can just shift your body across the board. And I, and I think that's why there's, you know, you look at a research study for cancer, you look at a research study um, for macular degeneration, you're seeing it hit things that you just haven't typically seen from one particular therapy, a simple thing to do, a very simple thing to do. Actually, it's a very pleasant experience, to be honest with you. How I mean, long do you do? Uh, do you do that for about 20 minutes a day? 20 minutes just yeah, at max. I mean, you don't want your body to get used to it. But, you know, another thing you started talking about um, fat, and that brings me to another point of your book that you really don't read about or hear about too much is 
how do you lose fat? Oh, yeah, that's a very personal decision, right? And, <laughs> right? So, you know, there are different theories out there on how to tap into that. And we know that, you know, whenever we could shift metabolism away from gluco, um, you know, uh, gluco, glucogenic states where we're basically relying on sugar for metabolism and we start tapping into fat for overall metabolism and beta oxidation through whether it's ketosis um, or just a lower carbohydrate diet, we tend to see that most people will respond very favorably in regards to that. So whether, you know, I'm not telling you to go out there and take exogenous ketones, but some people benefit from that. I'm not telling you to do a high fat, saturated fat diet, but some people benefit from that. Um, but the bulk of uh, individuals that are, you know, dealing with mitochondrial deficits are actually preferentially burning carbohydrates because they don't have the oxidative phosphorylation or the beta oxidation capacity to have efficient mitochondria metabolism of, of fat. And what if we can't burn fat, guess what happens? It's stored. And it's stored in all the places we hate and we get jiggly, right? So if we're able to enhance our mitochondria, provide ourselves with the appropriate nutrition, and I'm not telling people to go out there and, and go keto, but needless to say, there's a lot of docs, you know, in the longevity space, especially the neurologists, you know, the bulk of the neurologists out there in functional medicine will say, hey, the ketogenic diet is going to be one of the healthier diets, you know, to ward off neurodegenerative disease. And why is that? It's because our brains preferentially want to use those ketones, right? And the fats for metabolism. So whenever globally we could switch our metabolism towards ketogenesis or beta oxidation, we're able to tap into that reservoir and, you know, start metabolizing fat, you know, and there are other, you know, methods and hacks and so forth that are out there that could influence that, you know, the timing of your protein and your first meal, when and how you do intermittent fasting. But if it, again, I think it's a very um, unique equation. Not There's no one size fits all. There's no one diet for one person. You know, I, I try to avoid extremes and you got to look at all the different components that influences somebody's health. Um, but generally speaking, Whenever we could shift our energy metabolism towards beta oxidation, we're going to be burning fat for energy. I, I think, you know, that it's so comp. I, I mean, I, I've lost uh, a good bit of weight over the past couple of years and, and kept it the majority off and changed my diet. But I think the thing that gets so tough for people and so confusing is the conflicting information. You know, so I switched to a lot of plant-based kind of things. And then I read something like, you should be eating a lot of red meat things, you know. And yeah. uh, I think that's the hard thing. Like, well, what's right, you know? And but I think I that's do? that's why you get some of the testing that he does. Because all of our genes, we're, we're so different. We're so individualized that what works for one person is not going to work for another person. And I think that's why medicine has to go in the, in the direction that you are really pushing it towards. Um, Dr. B. It's so that... not static. You know, it's not static. We have different phases in life too, right? So, and, you know, everybody's, dare I say, competition level is different. You know, I work with a lot of athletes and, you know, people that are, you know, training uh, for, for different performance metrics. 
um, both physically and, you know, professionally. And I, I think that um, all these different factors influence your protein, fat, carb ratio and, and how you're going to respond. And, you know, is it like, hey, you got to go vegan? I'm not saying that. And do you have to go carnivore? I'm not saying that either. I think there, you know, there's, you know, going to be a balance that's going to come with the different seasons of life, you know, that we need to kind of adapt to and have a better appreciation. And the further away we get from nature, right? just as a whole, the more we're going to be disconnected with, I think, just, you know, dare I say a, a divine purpose, right? So the more we could return to nature, whatever that is, and in, in whatever shape or form, that's going to be very important in our, our healing journey, whatever that might look like. So, well, you know, in response to that, you know, I think that when we are closer to nature, we're also closer to ourselves and, and innately we can listen to our bodies and what we need. Right. And one right. of the tricks that I like to use is for chocolate lovers, because when you are a chocolate lover, you actually have a magnesium deficiency and magnesium deficiencies are huge, but you can actually walk away from chocolate when you get your magnesium levels up. You don't so crave it like you typically do, but our bodies are going after the easiest kind of source for things. And because of the lifestyles we we live, we don't tap into what our bodies are actually asking for. I have for. a question. So when you're talking about, and we started out with these tests, these like drop of blood kind of tests, can that actually tell someone like how they, what's better for them to eat and not eat? It is not diagnostic. Um, okay. I think it, it's exactly what Dr. B says. And you can, you know, you can elaborate on this, but it gives you an idea that you can further test to get actually diagnostic information to help people versus using it to, to do that specifically. It's multifactorial, right? So I look at all the different vitamins, minerals, amino acids, and micronutrients in the system, and we want to make sure those are dialed in. I look at other key factors that could be displacing those micronutrients, such as environmental factors, you know, and different total toxic, you know, exposures. And um, I think there are additional layers, you know, including the microbiome and some levels of food allergy and sensitivity filters um, that influence diet. Another filter um, that I know is going to probably be heavily criticized is a blood type antigen system. I do believe that, you know, this is not necessarily the holy grail, but, you know, from an immunohematological standpoint, I do believe that there is some efficacy there in regards to lectin chemistry and how lectins bind to these cell surface receptor antigens and, um, you know, influence our body's ability to digest certain types of foods. Um, that leads into the whole complement activation system and leading to something called membrane attack complex and perturbing the immune system. And that's a whole nother thing. So I do believe in the, again, the mannose binding lectin uh, pathway, food antigens and lectins, how that influences the immune system via, you know, again, complement activation and um, is another layer of filtering in our individualization of, you know, nutrition. So all these people out there promoting um, all sorts of random stuff, you know, the extremes needs to shut up, right? Just shut up, right? Yeah. I, <laughs> like, I get it. What worked for you is awesome. I'm happy. But the reality is bio-individuality is more important, right? And knowing where somebody is clinically and their journey in life is critical. And taking these, you know, different filters and kind of customizing the protocol to the individual and through your philosophical lens, what that, whatever that might be, 
because trust me, I have all my friends who are like, oh, should I go carnivore? You know, you know, and or I have my vegan friends that are annoying and they're like, oh, you got to go vegan. And it's like, I think it's a balance, right? Of weighing out things. And it's, there's all these people that have, you know, professes the answer, whomever, I'm not even saying I have the answer, right? I just run away from because they're all full of shit, you know, to some <laughs> um, shape and form. So, um, yeah, the, the answer is individualized. It's N of one. We are all unique. And if uh, you cannot make a sweeping generalization for somebody and apply it to the masses, it doesn't work that way. So are there any are there any supplements that you feel are must haves for people? Mm. Test don't guess, right? Supplements are supplementing micronutrient food deficiencies. Theoretically, a well-balanced diet will provide these things, but we know that with um, modern industrial farming practices, agricultural practices, that there's a lot of displacement and nutrients in the soil. We know that there's um, genetic factors, you know, in regards to, you know, um, uh, influencing our genes, ability to utilize certain micronutrients and so forth. Um, so I, I, I don't have like a hard list of like, hey, everybody needs to be on this, you know. Um, again, I'd like to test, not guess, and figure out what's the best for the individual to make informed decisions, evidence-based decisions on what's appropriate. Gotcha. Well, that was not the answer I was looking for. I was, I was looking to go out and buy a supplement today, and I feel like I cannot it's, do that. That one size fits all does not work, Stephanie. I learned that. Well, thank you so much for for being on. Is where can people get your book? Um, actually, we're going to be doing a campaign here, hopefully in August, um, in you know March of 2024, um, on Amazon and everything else. And we're going to do a, a kind of a big promotional release. You got a preprint release copy at the conference, Longevity Fest, and so we're going to be doing a, a pretty big marketing campaign um, Q1 of this year. Okay, so coming up shortly, you'll be able to get this book, and it is written for the average person yes. to understand and about and basic from. things: sleep, nutrition, movement, yes. cognitive uh, functions. Yeah. So, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, really awesome to have you. Appreciate your time and everything that you're doing to push medicine forward. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. And as always, with everything you do, particularly with your own health. The objective is to stand up, step forward, and speak out.